0: Life-saving and world-changing discoveries that take place in laboratories around the globe come with risks. Laboratories may work with infectious agents and other biohazardous material that pose threats to humans, animals, and even plant life. At OHSU, a special team is charged with protecting against and responding to safety threats in research environments. It's Tuesday, October 12th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Josh Anderson. I sat down with the biosafety team to learn more about their roles, how they keep ohsu and safe, and things you can do today to strengthen a culture of safety at OHSU. Harjinder, Sarah, Patrick, thank you for joining me today on OHSU Week. Why don't we get started with some introductions? What is your name and role here at OHSU? Harjinder, why don't you start?
1: Thank you, Josh. I'm Harjinder Siddhar. I am the OHSU Biosafety Officer for all OHSU campuses. That includes Markham Hill, West Campus, Waterfront Campus. Typically, my role is to provide biosafety for more or less 300 to 400 labs at OHSU. Um, I've been at OHSU for the last 10 years. I've come here from a research experience. I got my PhD and a five-year postdoc and then moved to OHSU for this role.
2: Uh, hi, my name is Patrick Davidson. I work with Hard Gender on the biosafety team for Environmental Health and Safety. Started with OHSU back in 2014 as a uh, research scientist in the uh, molecular microbiology and immunology department and transitioned over to uh, health and safety a few years ago.
3: And I'm Sarah Byers and I manage the Institutional Biosafety Committee and we are the regulatory arm of the biosafety program here at OHSU. We coordinate with the biosafety officers, we have a committee um, comprised of faculty here at OHSU and community members that advise on biosafety work practices and make sure that we as an institution want to take on the risk of doing any of these research projects. We have a great team here in the research integrity office. Our team supports both the institutional biosafety committee and the institutional animal care and use program. I actually got into biosafety uh, here at OHSU after being a postdoc. And then I worked out at the primate center and our gender was hired to replace me. And then I came over to the institutional biosafety committee.
0: Can you explain to listeners, what is biosafety?
1: Biosafety fr- from our perspective is, uh, OHSU is an academic medical center. So we the nature of the work involves working with samples that might originate from humans or if it involves research, it could be from a research subject and that could potentially be animals. So biosafety from our perspective is anytime any OHSU researcher wants to operate with these samples, we provide them the biosafety framework, meaning the containment requirements and the safety practices requirements to be able to safely work around with those samples. As Sarah indicated, there are certain regulatory requirements from NIH. If you work with certain recombinant DNA material, or some infectious agent that can fall under the purview of CDC. And that's where our expertise comes in. We work as technical advisors to both the Institutional Biosafety Committee, as well as the researchers to give them guidance on everything from what A to Z in terms of safety practices involving these agents.
0: Sarah, do you have more to add to that?
3: Through training and community of practice, you get the same level of work practices so that you're not releasing these agents into the environment, so that you're not having somebody get ill from doing their work. If you're working with salmonella in the lab, you wanna have at least as much work, safe work practices as if you're working with raw chicken in your kitchen.
0: Can you explain what a biosafety officer does at OHSU?
1: Yeah, I'll let um, Patrick Aswell speak to it, but, uh, Primarily, the role of biosafety officer is uh, defined by National Institute of Health NIH. Since a lot of work we do at OHSU involves research involving recombinant DNA material, as well as synthetic nucleic acids or infectious agents, it's required by NIH that institution appoint a biosafety officer to provide that technical advice to the Institutional Biosafety Committee, as well as the researchers, uh, to be able to perform this work safely. We also help with periodic inspections of the spaces, meaning audits where we go in uh, every now and then to review how they are operating and if everything seems to be in compliance with our expectations. We also work very closely with our Institutional Biosafety Committee. This is one of the committees, uh, in addition to many other committees that we sit on and provide the feedback We look at any violations, non-compliance, any potential accidents, laboratory accidents, exposures, incidents, and provide feedback on that and how we can better that. How can we improve on that and not repeat a similar incident? We also help labs develop emergency plans so that if there's going to be any potential scenarios for research accidents or incidents, we can develop preemptive plans to prevent them from happening. And then overall, our biggest role here is to serve as consultants, safety consultants. I mean you know we are a pretty small team but we provide the safety consulting in the form of creating guidance documents by routinely interacting with labs at multiple forums and providing that continuous feedback.
2: OHSU has hundreds of research laboratories, thousands of, of, of scientists and technicians, and they do the very important work of studying a lot of infectious diseases and, and trying to find ways to improve human health. And so our role really is to help support their work as much as we can, make sure that they can come in, do their job safely, go home to their families, and uh, ultimately get to those get to those answers that are going to help humanity. You
0: mentioned the Institutional Biosafety Committee, and what is their role?
3: This is Sarah, and and I'll discuss that. Hargenders mentioned it a few times that we have NIH guidelines, and uh, these are the regulations about recombinant DNA, sticking two pieces of DNA together, or synthetic um, nucleic acids like Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines. These are, are new and novel pieces of DNA, and... The NIH guidelines were established to regulate them to ensure that we have cautious safety practices in place, because if if you're making something new, you can propose what that will do, but you don't always know what it'll do. And so it's adding that layer of caution. And then it's also called the NIH guidelines identify certain research projects that are of higher risk so that they have more, more oversight. And our committee is making sure that The right safety level is applied for that research project and that we're having the right correspondence with the regulators related to that research and reporting on any research accidents or spills that occur at our institution. So that they can see that we're taking care of our staff and that we're improving our biosafety work practices so that we can hopefully prevent somebody else from having a similar type of accident in the workplace.
0: Can you talk about the role of biosafety during the pandemic?
1: I think it's, it's interesting because I mean, from, for us, right, Patrick, me and Sarah, this is bread and butter. So we've been doing this for the past number of years, day in and out. We talk biosafety literally every day, but in the pandemic, it's just thrown the biohazard symbol, the biosafety nomenclature at the forefront. I mean, you open up a newspaper, you watch the six o'clock news. Using a lot of terms about containment, about vaccination, about respirators, about safety requirements, what aerosols are. So what it has meant in the last one and a half years for us since the pandemic started was is that we have been able to use our expertise, use our experience, and be able to provide that feedback to people who have generally been interested about following safety practices. So we've collaborated with infection prevention control, we've col- collaborated with Arc Health and multiple other groups to provide that live feedback uh, for the COVID pandemic and safety practices. And the other side of it, which is our primary role is that we primarily provide guidance, safety guidance for any research involving uh, infectious agents. And then during the pandemic, um, and just to give you a perspective here, I just looked up the numbers this morning, We had a total of 424 COVID study submissions at OHSU in the last one and a half years. Out of those, um, I would say around 75 to 100 were reviewed by Institutional Biosafety Committee, meaning all three of us had a role to provide active feedback to the researchers to do this work uh, safely. And additionally, there are quite a few researchers wanting to just work with human samples, not necessarily involving the Institutional Biosafety Committee. So that involves more me and Patrick having to do a lot of QA with them to let them know what the safety expectations should be. Overall, what our expectations here were that as soon as people wanted to do work with SARS CoV 2, again, this is a novel agent, that's how it's labeled as. We went around the nation, just not nation, internationally, did benchmarking on what the expectations should be for biosafety considerations to do this work. We came up with a framework of how can we safely do this work at OHSU. The biosafety committee, the biosafety team came up with the resource guidance, recommendations, safety recommendations on how we can safely work with these agents. But we do this day in and out. We had to do the same for a novel agent. We didn't have time to prepare. We had to just jump with our experience and then use our best judgment. And then for, this, for the same reason, use resources available and then come to the conclusion as to well, how can we do this safely at OHSU and still be at the forefront of that cutting research, cutting edge research.
3: Yeah, OHSU has been involved in all levels. The Institutional Biosafety Committee has been reviewing basic science research related to SARS-CoV-2, the biosafety practice related to collecting and handling samples associated with healthcare and patients within the healthcare community so that we don't end up taking that potentially infectious material all over our campus. We've been very cautious about how those uh, samples get handled. And we've also been reviewing the the human subject studies of testing the vaccines, because when those vaccines involve um, recombinant or synthetic DNA, they also get reviewed by the Institutional Biosafety Committee, in addition to the Institutional Review Board or the IRB.
2: Like Harjinder was mentioning, because this is a novel agent, there is no knowledge pool that we can pull from for setting these things up. So a lot of these laboratories wanting to do this research for the first time, we're working very closely with them to make sure that we can set them up in a, in a setting that's going to be, be safe for them when they're doing their research. And since we were learning right along with the rest of the world how this pathogen behaved and how it could be contained and controlled and things like that, since we were learning about this pathogen right along with the rest of the world. we had to start off with the strictest guidelines we could follow when we were first starting out while we were still learning and then as we've learned more throughout the pandemic we've been able to kind of better hone in on the safety practices that are appropriate for working with the agent itself versus you know working with human samples from potentially infected patients things like that
3: and there's one other aspect about this that i would like to mention and that's how wonderfully collaborative our researchers have been in this process and occupational health and everybody that this has been a team discussion about how we conduct SARS-CoV-2 research at our institution, relying on our virologists and infectious disease doctors too, to inform on the discussion.
0: It's pretty great that we have such a deep bench of knowledge a knowledge pool just right at our fingertips at OHSU. What can investigators do in, in their space to make it safer?
2: One thing that we've been doing for the past few months now is we've started to ramp back up our, our biosafety inspections. They kind of went on a bit of a hiatus at the beginning of the pandemic, but we've started to, to ramp those back up. Shameless plug for, for BioRaft uh, insert here. Um, <laughs> so we've been using Bioraft to do some, some virtual, uh, lab inspections for the biosafety program. And one thing that's nice with what we're seeing out of these is we're starting to see trends of some, kind of some of the common pitfalls that that labs are falling into. So a couple of the big ones that come into the top of my mind, uh, laboratory safety signage is, is often out of date, or maybe has old contact info on it. So. One thing you could really easily do is check your check your safety signage on the door and make sure that's up to date. Another common one is testing your, your eyewash station, making sure that your eyewashes are functioning properly. Nobody wants to uh, get something nasty in their eye, run over to the eyewash station and then have brown water come out because it hasn't been run in the last year and a half. So testing those on a regular basis is a is a really good practice for making your lab a little bit safer. Last thing I would say is making sure that, you know, all the people that are working in your lab are uh, up to date on their safety trainings. The safety trainings that we have, that's that's one area where the biosafety team has an opportunity to to get ahead of the the problems is, is you know, giving people guidance through our safety trainings. And so update your update, your safety signage, check your IWAS station and uh, make sure you've taken all your safety trainings
1: three principles that we always try to fall back, especially during this month of October, which is the Biosafety Sewership Month. Number one, we try to highlight engagement. So we encourage PIs, labs to engage with their staff, talk to them, identify, are there any safety concerns? And if they are, if they do, they feel comfortable to reach out to either the biosafety team or to their supervisors, because I think that's the conversation we hope happens. The other thing, as Patrick said, is, you know, trainings, because eventually everything comes down to a certain proficiency training, certain level of, you know, understanding safety and safety expectations. And as the person who owns the lab or runs the lab, we try to encourage that they, in their role, they should encourage all the required biosafety trainings, not just biosafety in general, any safety trainings required for the hazards they're going to work around, they are you know considering those considering those trainings and completing those trainings in time and then finally transparency i think right i mean one of the things that we hope happens is that whatever safety expectations are set at the highest level they are transparent at the ground level at the operational level so we create a lot of safety standard operating procedures we create a lot of safety trainings you know fact sheets guidance documents and we hope that those trickle down at the operational level, the ground level. And so those are the three tenets that we try to highlight, you know, engagement, training, transparency. And hopefully we can continue to do that through whatever forums and resources are available to us.
0: Can you talk about the history of Biosafety Month?
3: Biosafety Awareness Month came as a bit of surprise a few years back when NIH launched it. Only for everyone to find out, it was because NIH and other federal agencies had started to do an inventory of their freezers and refrigerators. And lo and behold, they found smallpox, which is a very highly regulated agent. And not only that, the smallpox was still viable in that FDA refrigerator. That smallpox vial had its own Twitter account for a while. If you want to do something else, you can inventory your freezer.
0: Well, how can people find more resources, get involved and learn more?
2: We've tried to put a lot of the information together to the podcast that we're doing with you today. We're also going to be putting out a couple of, um, micro training videos and some good to know information. We're putting it up on the, the EHS website on O2. We've also over the last two years done a pretty major overhaul of that, uh, that website. Not just for biosafety, but for all of our different safety programs, you know, Sarah and the, the IBC have a lot of great resources on their website as well. And then, um, specific to the biosafety program, pretty much everything you need to know can be found in the the biosafety manual. So you can download a copy of that and search through there.
3: And for the institutional biosafety committee, um, we have a O2 website and a public facing website, and a lot of overlapping materials with our partners in EHS. If you ever have any questions and you want to touch base with myself or another member of the team, please email us at ibc.ohsu.edu. And don't feel bad if you email IBC and we refer you over to EHS. We bounce back and forth all the time and share our resources between our departments.
0: Harjinder, Patrick, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on OHSU Week.
1: Thank you so much, Josh. We had a good time. Hopefully the people at OHSU find this useful as well and be able to go to our website and identify additional resources that would be
2: helpful for their work. Thank you, Josh. Nice talking to you.
3: Thank you.
0: OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced and edited by me. I'm Josh Anderson. Thank you for listening.